So Money Episode 678, Abby Chow, co-founder and COO of College Backer. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Topic today is college savings. Many of you write in asking me, hey, Farnoosh, where should I save for my child's college education? Some of you are very ahead of the curve asking me about your unborn children and where to save for their college education. And I'm with you. Uh, it's very expensive to go to school today, let alone in 18, 20 years. And one vehicle that has been a solution for many families is a 529 plan. But is it really the best option. To learn more about this, we have the COO and co-founder of a brand new financial technology website called College Backer. Abby Chow is here. Prior to launching the company, Abby was a senior associate and social sector fellow at McKinsey & Company, which is a top consulting firm in the world. What's interesting is that only 30% of Americans know what a 529 plan is. And that's where College Backer wants to help. It's a new company that's educating parents around college savings and how to make it easier for them to save for those future costs. And their trick is involving your community of friends and family. At College Backer, you can open a 529 plan and invite your friends and family and others to contribute. Not a bad idea. It's something that I actually do uh, in my own life. Uh, Whenever anyone asks what to get the kids, I say money. (laughs) And here's my direct deposit account. And that money goes right into their 529s. Abby and I discussed the pros and cons of starting an account like this. It's not a given that a 529 plan is the best way to save and that it's a best way for all families. I mean, what if you save diligently into this account and your child doesn't go to college or perhaps gets a college scholarship, a full scholarship? What happens to the money then? And I was pretty surprised by some of the answers. There are also some potential legislative changes to the 529 this year that may or may not expand its impact. We talk about all of this, as well as Abby's own impressive career resume. She talks about how her so money moment was when she was working. She convinced her bosses to give her a promotion and a raise and reimbursements for graduate school all at the same time. And stay tuned because we're going to mention a site where you can get a free gift from College Backer, free money, a match. Stay tuned for that sign-up information. Here's Abby Chow. Abby Chow, welcome to So Money. Excited to learn how to catch up and save more for my kids' college. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Farnoosh. So excited to be here today. Yeah, it's so great. And I'm so happy that you have started what you've started, you know, uh, as a co-founder of College Backer. We're going to dig into this some more on the podcast. I think it's so critical for new tools and and services to encourage families to be able to save more and not just encourage them, but to enable them, you know, to give them the ability to do this easily. I know college is not uh, inexpensive and it's 
expected to, you know, double over the next 10 years. And I have two children, um, very little, but we've already started saving for them. And people can't believe it when I tell them that <laughs> we have 529s for our kids. But uh, when you run the numbers, it's, it's, it's a no brainer. You have to start saving as soon as possible. But before we get into the details of College Backer, tell us a little bit about who Abby Chow is and what inspired you to get into this space in the first place. Yeah, happy to. Um, so I am originally from the Chicago suburbs, but uh, moved out to California to essentially pursue a dream of working in tech in some capacity. I was also always a bit of a personal finance geek growing up. So, you know, when I was in seventh grade, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, and it totally changed my life. And I was addicted uh, since then. Um, but what really came or what the real inspiration for College Backer was, was essentially looking around and realizing that so many of my friends and family and my co-founders friends and family were starting to have children. And um, those new parents were thinking about the cost of college, really intimidated by the rising cost, many of them uh, still paying off their own student loans or having just paid off their own student loans. And so they were just acutely aware of how scary um, the cost of college could be. Uh, but when they went to go and try to find a solution and figure out the best way to save for college, they were just overwhelmed with different options and financial lingo and all of this complexity that they just ended up sort of kicking it down the road and saying, okay, well, I'll figure it out later when I have time to spend hours researching this stuff. Um, right now, I'm trying to take care of my new child, you know. Um, and so we just wanted to be able to help in some way, you know, we wanted to be able to give them a gift that would kickstart the college fund and set them off on the right direction. Um, but there wasn't really a good way to do that. So that's why we built College Backer. And I know your background is in uh, consulting with McKinsey and also Goldman Sachs. That's quite the professional pedigree. What did you learn from those experiences that has now helped you be an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think both of those were, excuse me, I think both of those experiences were really, really helpful to me because, um, you know, I know that some people can just jump into entrepreneurship, maybe when they're 14 years old or something uh, as a whiz kid. But for me, um, it was really helpful to get a little bit more of that professional training of, you know, how to think about different problems, how to think about um, different aspects of the business, whether it's the financial aspect, as you know, of course, I learned at Goldman, as well as um, at McKinsey, I learned a lot about business operations and marketing and all of that good stuff. And I also had the opportunity when I was at McKinsey to go deep into the world of education and really study um, our K-12 and higher education systems in the US. And so it was really those experiences that helped me realize that you know, an opportunity like College Backer really can make a huge, huge difference for um, our society as a whole. You know, every single parent out there individually probably is concerned about um, is concerned about paying for college. But also, you know, us as a society, we need to be really thinking about how we're going to educate uh, the next generation. And what's unique about College Backer is that it really involves your community, your friends, your family. It makes this not just something that parents have to individually, solely shoulder that the, the, the unique proposition is, look, you can actually invite friends and family to contribute to this, which is, is that if I, from what I understand, that's one of the unique uh, aspects, right? Absolutely. I think this is definitely um, one of the big things that separates College Backer from the other options out there is that we just wanted to make it really, really easy for family and friends to be able to give you the gift of college. Um, so we give you a custom link that might be 
you know, collegebacker.com slash Abby or rather your child's name. And then you can share that at holidays or birthday parties or any other event. Um, and we've often seen birthday parties raise, you know, $400 or more uh, just in that one, one shot. And I think the reason that that's important is because so many of, you know, new parents are worrying about so many other financial goals. Maybe you're worrying about how you're going to pay for just being a new parent. Maybe you're worrying about your retirement or your emergency fund or paying off your own student loans. But the fact of the matter is that there are actually a lot of people around you who want to give you the gift of college. You know, grandparents want to be able to jumpstart the college fund or friends and family um, might not want to go and stand in the toy store and, you know, pick a random piece of plastic and instead would much rather give you this really meaningful gift um, of college savings. And we just wanted to enable that. Let's do a quick 101 for anyone listening who's maybe new to the 529 world. I get questions often on Ask Farnoosh, like, is it worth it? Because there are some risks if you believe that, say, your child may or may not go the traditional track and go to college. And frankly, I don't think that's a a negative. I think that the way the world is shifting and the way that we are um, valuing a college education is changing. I don't think it's going to change overnight, but I do think that it's valid when a parent's like, well, I don't know if a five is really the best vehicle for me. So I'll let you take the mic and tell me First, you know, what are what is a 529? I know, but some people may not. And um, why is it advantageous? And then what are some things to think about to, to figure out if this is actually the right vehicle for you as a, as a saver? Yeah, and actually, most parents have no idea what a 529 is. So I'm really glad that we're starting here. Um, the data shows that over 70% of parents have never heard of a 529 and less than 10% of parents are actually using one, even though, you know, you and I would probably agree that this is an amazing tool to save for college. Um, so a quick one-on-one of 529s, you can essentially think of it as a Roth IRA, but for college. So it's an investment account uh, where you put in post-tax money and then the, that money grows completely tax-free and withdrawals are tax-free as long as you are using it for higher education. So the main benefits of using a 529 are those investment gains and the tax benefits on top of it. Uh, in addition to that, 529s are actually surprisingly flexible. So it's true that it really should be for f- higher education, um, but the categories are pretty expansive. So of course it includes tuition. It also includes room and board. It also includes books uh, and it, it also includes uh, computers and related equipment. And it can also be used for a variety of different higher education institutions. So that includes public and private schools, in-state and out-of-state, community college, some trade schools, uh, undergraduate and graduate. So there are a lot of different forms of higher education that can be included. It's essentially anything that qualifies for federal financial student aid. That being said, of course, there are concerns around, you know, what if my kid doesn't go to college or any of those forms of higher education. Any money that you put into the 529, which is, you know, your original contribution or the principal, you can actually withdraw that money uh, without any taxes or penalties at any time. However, if you want to withdraw the gains for something else, um, say you want to take that money and go buy a car, for example, um, then you would have to pay taxes on that and penalties. But there are some some ways to avoid those taxes and penalties, even if your child decides not to go to college. So for example, if your first child decides that they don't need that 529 money anymore, but you have a second child that is planning to go to some form of higher education, then you can transfer 
the funds to the second child by doing a beneficiary change. And you can change the beneficiary to anyone in your family, including yourself, um, you know, if you wanted to go back to graduate school or something like that. Um, another important exception is that if your child earns a scholarship, you can also withdraw the amount of the scholarship without incurring uh, any penalties. So if you have a brilliant kid that gets a full ride to school and you don't need any of that money anymore, you can still take that out and you won't be penalized for it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's they good are. to know. Yeah, because exactly. <laughs> yeah, what if you have a smarty pants kid who, you know, gets a uh, full ride or a partial scholarship and then you've got this, you know, overly funded <laughs> 529. Which is a great that problem really to have. <laughs> that's, that's a good tip. Um, all right. So obviously this is um, important. I didn't realize that a majority of parents didn't know that, you know, what 529s are, how they function. That's crazy. All right, Abby, tell us a little bit more about your background in terms of like going way back. So we know your professional background, but you know, what was your childhood like? Um, did your parents save enough for your college? <laughs> yeah, this is a great question. Um, so I was really fortunate uh, when it came to college because I did manage to get a significant scholarship. And then my parents did have um, a small 529 for me that helped with you know, room and board and things like that. So that's another pro tip. You know, even if your kid does get a scholarship, remember that there's a lot more to the cost of college than than just tuition. That's really, they were really ahead of their times. I feel like my parents, well, I don't know if my parents' generation really had 529s. I feel like this is kind of a new area of focus, right? Because obviously college is getting more expensive. Um, parents didn't really ha- ever have to save, you know, 20 years ahead of schedule <laughs> to yeah. send their kids to school. Absolutely. I mean, 529s are a little bit of a new phenomenon. So it's been, a, I want to say it's been about 20 years that 529s have been out there. But the cost of college has completely changed, you know, over those those past 20 years. So once upon a time, you would be able to pay for college just with, you know, cash flow from the parents or doing a part-time job and working over the summer, things like that. But today, that's pretty unrealistic um, for most families. And as a result, you know, we have a $1.4 trillion, excuse me, $1.4 trillion student loan crisis. So it's a, it's a very different world today. And so one, you know, one way of thinking about it that I always like is uh, going to college or, or paying for college used to be like buying a car, but now it's like buying a house. You have to plan in advance. And there is this resistance to just just affording it through student loans. That was the mentality when I was applying to college in high school. I would look at these price tags for school, come home and talk, talk to my parents about it. And they're like, yeah, that's just not happening. Like if you get into this school, that's great. But if we have not saved enough for you to afford this um, in the clear. And I was like, well, don't worry, mom and dad. Our My teacher said that there's this thing called a student loan. <laughs> and my Middle Eastern parents who don't really have, they didn't have any debt and, except for the mortgage we're like that's not that's not our pr- protocol here. We don't just leverage opportunities uh, by going into debt. Um, and so that was our household. That wasn't every household, obviously. Now we have a huge student loan problem. But I think people are w- waking up to the fact that that is not should not be kind of the first uh, way of attack to attack a college cost. Absolutely. I think that today, you know, we're realizing the cost of student loans, essentially. And now, you know, when folks graduate from college with an average of over $30,000 in debt, we're realizing that that really puts a big damper on on your options, right? So when I graduated from college, um, I had the opportunity to work at some amazing jobs. But then afterwards, you know, I decided to 
become an entrepreneur and build my own company. And I think if I had those massive student loans um, hanging over me, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Similarly, when I look at my friends um, who graduated with me, who are very smart, very capable, very highly educated as well, um, they would like to be doing something more entrepreneurial or doing something on their own or following their passion, but they don't have that opportunity right now because they need to focus on having the very, the solid paying jobs so that they can pay back those student loans. It's an interesting time to be a female startup uh, entrepreneur, founder in this, in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley. Indulge us. Tell us a story behind the scenes of some sort of friction you came up against or tension or challenge or, you know, um, anything that, you know, that you overcame ultimately or that you feel was a really great lesson learned. Because uh, I think those are those stories we can't get enough of these days. <laughs> sure. Um, so it's definitely a contentious topic. Um, and I will say that for the most part, I feel like I've always been really fortunate in, in working with really supportive men and women, you know, uh, in, in any of the, the roles that I've had, whether it was, uh, even being an, an investment banker at Goldman or a consultant at McKinsey and, and now, uh, being an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. Um, but of course, like you always have a few bad actors and, you know, I've had an experience where, you know, we were, we were at, you know, an event talking to various investors at a happy hour. And then, you know, progressively, one of these investors just uh, continued saying increasingly inappropriate things to me um, as the evening wore on. And eventually, I had to uh, obviously remove myself from the situation. And um, in retrospect, you know, nothing terrible happened from it. Obviously, I had a really terrible taste in my mouth and that kind of ruined my evening. Um, but I think the most surprising thing was that when I spoke to people um, and they would ask me a question like this, at first I felt, um, I felt almost, you know, embarrassed and ashamed of it because I felt like somehow this was a reflection of a weakness of mine. And, you know, people would say, oh, like, you know, why didn't you push back or why didn't you do X, Y, and Z? Um, but now that I've had a little bit of distance from it, um, as I think back on it, I don't feel that there's any reason for me to feel um, embarrassed or ashamed or, or any of those negative feelings. Um, I think that you know, that guy <laughs> ought to feel embarrassed and ashamed of himself. Um, and I'm really impressed with the way that other women have spoken out um, about different things that have happened to them. And, and I love that these things are, you know, coming out into the open now and people are being held accountable. Yes, absolutely. Well, you definitely took the higher road. And as I say, sometimes, you know, when um, I have friends who come up to me and like that guy, there's always that guy. There's always that guy. You know, there's always a story about that guy who did that or whatever. And, you know, I just say like, let him be the wind beneath your wings. <laughs> <laughs> let that experience give you, first of all, you know, uh, the, um, the, the, I feel like the fact that he like took issue, whatever, I don't, we don't have to go into details, but the fact that some men sometimes target women, um, is, is to your credit, like you're that great that they focused on you. You know, I'm reading like Salma Hayek's, uh, op-ed in the New York times about how Harvey Weinstein just tormented her for all those years. And she absolutely did not deserve it. But at the same time, you know, he, he targeted her because in some ways, 
you know, he, he knew she had potential, right? Um, she, and she totally did. And I think that that somehow made her stand out and unfortunately become a target. Again, not to her deserving, but it, it's almost like let that be um, a sign that like you have what it takes and you're worth it. And this person is not going to be, a, you know, is not worth your time. Um, but like almost flip it, right? Flip it and think about if this person is paying attention to me, maybe that means that I actually have potential and I'm going to use that as yep. fuel in my fire. Yep. And I, I also think that um, even though we're in an environment now where we're talking about this stuff, and I think it's really important that we talk about this stuff. Um, it's also something that we can't let uh, weigh us down. We can't let this weigh us down too much, right? You know, when I wake up in the morning, what I focus on is running my business and not um, all of this other stuff. And so I deal with it, you know, if and when it comes, but I've got bigger fish to fry and, and more important things to work on, like helping families save for college. <laughs> yes. Yes. What's your so money moment, Abby? You know, it's a time in your life where you felt like you really achieved something financially awesome. Uh, the stars aligned, you worked hard for something paid off. Yeah. You know, I think that my so money moments have been around negotiating, actually. And uh, this is something that I've constantly tried to work on. And it's something that uh, certainly doesn't feel natural to me. I think as women, we find it really difficult to advocate for ourselves, even though we probably should. Um, and one very specific example was that, you know, when I was a consultant, um, at, because I was an entry level consultant, they had a benefit where, you know, they would consider sponsoring your graduate school if you were a more junior consultant, but that wasn't an opportunity that was afforded more senior consultants. Um, and I was actually offered a promotion, but I was considering turning down the promotion because I thought, oh, well, I really want to keep this, um, I really want to keep this benefit of potentially supporting my graduate school. Uh, and so I, I was about to turn it down when I spoke to one of my mentors. And she just looked at me like I was crazy. And she was like, Abby, that rule is stupid. You should just tell them that you want to be able to go to graduate school and you want the promotion. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I didn't, I didn't know that I could do that. Um, so she kind of helped me navigate that process. And then, you know, I eventually got both. And all I had to do was ask and ask in the right way, you know. Yes. Break those rules. Exactly. Exactly. They were all just made by other people. So, yeah. And I want to, I mean, and all those people were men um, <laughs> and not to stereotype, but I think that, you know, women, young girls do great in school because, and better than in boys statistically. Um, I mean, more women are going to college, more women get A's um, in school. It's because we're really good at following the rules, right? School is like, we thrive at it. We raise our hand, we participate. It's totally, um, at least traditionally, it's very much like place to our strengths. But in the real world, it's good to break rules. It's good to like color outside the lines and speak when you're, uh, when you feel something passionately and not maybe when you're called upon, you know, just to, to, to be, uh, the forefront of your own ideas. I think that's something, a good lesson for all of us, men and women, but I think particularly for women, since we're not really, um, socially conditioned to do that. I, couldn't agree with you more, <laughs> especially, you know, hate to extra stereotype here, but especially as an Asian American woman, um, I definitely mm. think that I, uh, I always really valued, um, you know, contributing in the right ways and following the rules and, and doing things properly. And as, you know, an entrepreneur, uh, 
it's really paid for me to learn to experiment a little bit more. And of course, like there are some rules that you absolutely need to follow in the financial services industry. We have to be really careful, right? Um, But in terms of thinking big and being creative and and designing things that are new, you, you can't restrict yourself that way. And so needless to say, you got the promotion and the ability to go back to grad school, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, you know, so much is changing in terms of uh, how people kind of look at college as what the value is and the cost of college is increasing. But yet at the same time, I feel like there has to be a shoe has to drop. The cost of college cannot continue to rise to the level that it has, especially since we have some institutions that are graduating students without the ability to get jobs or are not doing their part to make sure that students are graduating um, to be able to go out there and pay off those student loans. So what's your crystal ball telling you since you are entrenched in this industry so much more than the rest of us? What's your crystal ball showing in terms of where various aspects of college are headed, the cost, the perception, um, how we're affording it. Absolutely. Um, So as you mentioned at the the top of uh, the podcast, the cost of college, according to current predictions, is set to double again in the next 10 years. Um, But meanwhile, we also know that the value of a college education is enduring. Uh, The typical college grad earns about $1 million more in their lifetime than a non-graduate. And again, as a society, we need more smart, educated people who can do high-skilled, really interesting, creative, innovative work. Um, So I definitely see this, this tension here that current trends are unsustainable and we as a society need to need to find a way to address this. Um, One cautionary thing that I would say is that for many parents, when you look at this landscape, it can be very overwhelming. And that feeling of being overwhelmed can sometimes cause you to just procrastinate or, um, or not not take action, right? And I think that's exactly the wrong approach. So from my perspective, um, I do think that the value of higher education is enduring and that regardless of what happens in the broader landscape, you're never going to regret having some money set aside for your child's education so that you can, um, you can help your child continue to invest in themselves and gain new skills and new experiences that are going to allow them to pursue their dreams um, on an ongoing basis in their future. Uh, and then I also think that um, from a broader societal perspective, there is an appetite for these new forms of higher education as well, right? So um, even a few years ago in the prior administration, the the federal government was doing um, a a small experiment of uh, expanding the categories of institutions that would qualify for federal financial student aid so that they might include things like the coding boot camp or other, you know, non-traditional forms of higher education. And now... um, the the government is also considering expanding the categories that um, that a 529 can be used for, potentially including K-12 education, um, as well as higher education. So I think broadly, there is recognition that the current system cannot sustain. And folks are trying to find the ways to uh, correct that and, and make the higher education landscape and the higher education financing landscape reflect the new dynamic global society that we live in. Um, but I think that the most important takeaway for a parent is that, hey, you know, if you believe that 
lifetime, a, a lifetime of education is valuable and that your children will be able to benefit if they um, have the opportunity to continue learning throughout their lives, then it makes sense to get started, you know, saving for college in the best ways that you can. Well, I didn't realize the 529 was expanding in terms of what it would cover. That's encouraging. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we're recording this in December. Um, so it could be that by the time, you know, your listeners are, are hearing about this, that there has been major legislative change already. Um, but essentially the, the thing, um, or the change that's being proposed is expanding a 529 to allow spend on K-12 education. Um, and specifically the, the categories there aren't finalized yet, but you could imagine it including, of course, um, private school and homeschool, but also, uh, other forms of additional education that any family might use. So maybe, uh, some additional online coursework or, uh, a summer school or other enrichment programs. Um, all of that is a bit to be determined, but definitely could be an exciting opportunity for oh a lot of gosh. families. That is music to my ears because the price of private school in New York City is more expensive than what I paid for college. <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of scary school. education costs these days, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Abby, thank you so much for stopping by. This has been a really helpful episode, especially as we kick off the new year. I know some parents are looking to kind of reframe their financial goals in 2018. No one ever said, you know, I wish I hadn't saved so much money <laughs> ever. No one ever says that. It's always, well, I wish I had saved more. And so I think uh, it's great to have tools like College Backer enable parents to save more and also enlist the help of friends and family. And, and yes, I do this. I do this my, on my own. You know, I just say, my mom's like, what do we get the kids for Christmas or birthdays? And I'm like, just send me a deposit uh, for their 529. And uh, a little bit goes a very long way, especially when you start early. Abby, thank you so much and happy new year to you. Thank you. Thanks so much to Abby for stopping by. Very exciting. College Backer would like to offer so many listeners a $25 match. If you sign up, you can go to collegebacker.com slash so money for more info. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. Money.